0: This podcast contains possible spoilers about comic books and adaptations. You've been warned. Oh, Lance, I'm so excited. How come? Well, we're talking about our first X-Men character in this episode.
1: Don't you mean X-Woman? Or, or would it be X-People? X-Individual? Children of the Atom? Uh, either way, she's cool. She's cool. She's really cool. <laughs>
0: Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris. And I'm Lance. And today we're talking about Storm. And we're featuring Storm as part of our episodes honoring Black History Month, featuring Black characters, creators, and their cultural impact. And Storm has an added benefit of also honoring Women's History Month, which uh, it is technically in March when we're yeah. recording this.
1: We wanted to do one Black comic book character for each week of february but we both realized that that would be way too much work for all of us uh to just do that research so we kind of bled over into march so we get it we get a two twofer we, we for, needed time we needed time to read the comics yeah. <laughs> yes there was a lot of comics to read we can, we can read you that. a wikipedia page if you'd like but it's a little bit better if we actually <laughs> do some decent research Aurora Monroe, also known as Storm, is a mutant in the Marvel Universe and one of the most prominent members of the X-Men. She's an Omega-level mutant, able to create and manipulate all forms of weather. She was a member of the new international team introduced in Giant Size X-Men Number 1 in 1975. Since then, she's not only been a team leader and one of the most featured X-Men, but an essential character in all of Marvel Comics. She's been an essential teacher and leader of all mutants learning how to adapt to their gifts, fought all kinds of enemies in the Marvel comic pantheon, been de-aged, re-aged, traveled the space, become an actual goddess, and has gone through more costume changes than any other member of the X-Men. Probably.
0: Which many of
1: are very cool. Many oh, are so very many. cool there's some great. There's some great, just like all characters, there's been some amazing costumes. There's been some... Not as amazing costumes, but I would, I most would say of for, the most part, pretty for the amazing. most part, Storm has been on it.
0: Yeah. And she has also a lot of aliases as well. In addition to her main codename, Storm, she has been known as Beautiful Windrider, The Weather Witch, The Goddess of Thunder, Walker of Clouds, High Priestess, Mistress of the Elements, Mutate number 020, Aurora Ikwadi T'Challa, which was her former married name, Princess of Nidari, Queen Aurora of Wakanda. So, and that's just to name a few. Um, Her powers and abilities include weather manipulation. She can use the weather to fly. She has the ability to manipulate the winds around her to fly. She is a expert in hand-to-hand combat she's a master thief and pickpocket and and just a little side note what i found out in my research about her abilities is she can she can control atoms on the atomic level which 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 allows her to control the weather but she's basically like able to kind of move things around on a super small level that that's what allows her to like create ice or sleet or rain or you know change the air particles on a very small level or lightning and stuff like that. So it's not just creating weather kind of willy-nilly, it's like there's a there's kind of a science behind it.
1: In-depth explanations in comics. Yes. Not just random.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: I mean, yeah,
0: it's the science of comics. Her main job has been an adventurer. She has been a goddess, which we'll talk about a little bit later. She's been the queen of Wakanda. She's been team leader several times. She's been an educator and teacher at the Xavier Institute and the Jean Grey Institute for Higher Learning. She's also been a student, and she has also been a thief.
1: Her affiliations obviously include X-Men, but a few of the other teams include the Marauders, the Quiet Council of Krakoa, the Crew, X-Force, Extinction Team, Murder Circus when she was brainwashed, Fantastic Four, the Extreme X-Men, the 12 hellfire club secret avengers lady liberators symbiote hive seven brides of set and swordbearers of krakoa that's that's yeah, a lot some of those are kind of, of like teams. they're, they're pretty affiliations cool. yeah there's there's some like kind of been a part of it but not really kind of joined them on a few adventures uh, some supporting characters mm-hmm. obviously include black panther t'challa during their uh, brief period of being husband and wife Shadowcat, Kitty Pride, Forge, Wolverine, Jean Grey, Cyclops, and her mentor, Professor X. Antagonists include the Shadow King, Callisto, part of the Morlocks, Dracula, Brotherhood of Mutants, Apocalypse, Reverend Striker, The Brood, Magneto, and Doctor Doom.
0: And obviously there's a lot more villains, uh, pretty much like any X-Men villain, but those are kind of the main ones that have had some sort of... Direct impact on Storm. in Part in of Her part Amazon of the
1: major arcs that that you would see with those stories.
0: So whether you like Storm or not, <laughs> <Ba-dum-tsch>. <laughs> we're gonna go into the archives. And by the way, you might have noticed that Lance and I are switching things up a little bit. We're kind of going back and forth, kind of volleying the. The lead a little bit. So we're trying something. And, and if you like it, let us know uh, on Twitter or our Facebook group. Um, if you like it, we're just kind of switching things up to make it kind of interesting and uh, for both of us. So into the archives, I get to start. We're going to start with the artist who, who helped create Storm, Dave Cockrum. David Emmett Cockrum developed a love for comics at an early age with a special interest in Fawcett's Captain Marvel, who most know today as Shazam and Captain Marvel Jr., Early comic artist inspirations include Mac Raboy, Gil Kane, and Joe Kubert. Cockrum was known as a letter hack, which is someone whose write-in letters are regularly printed in comic book letter columns. Strangely enough, it was one of those letters which was published in Fantastic Four 34, which would lead to the relationship and marriage to his first wife, Andrea Klein. Having letters printed in comics wasn't enough. He wanted to be a creator. After graduating, he joined the US Navy. During his six years in the Navy, he developed the character of Nightcrawler, who wouldn't be used for years to come. Which I like that's crazy. crazy. That's, that's so cool. Awesome. I can just see him like sitting in a little bunk drawing something and like one of his shipmates coming over, like, what's that? And he's like, Oh, it's this little elf bamps, you know? <laughs> <something like> that bamps, <laughs> He's got a crazy I mean, tail and yeah. <laughs> you know, likes pirate swords and yeah, yeah. Uh while serving in the Vietnam War, he found time to complete artwork for star-studded comics and fantastic fanzine. Can you imagine working on comics
1: during the Vietnam no, War? No, like,
0: What? After leaving the military, Cochran would go on to work for Warren Publishing and Neil Adams Continuity Associates as a member of the Krusty Bunkers, which was a group of inkers who developed a house style, which you can look up to learn more about.
1: It, it's like a really interesting part of just comic history, this little group that of inkers that actually, it's not little, it's a massive list and they were trying to copy neil adams style and to like to Hmm. not not copy it but be like it but then it turned out to be like its own style so it's it's a cool thing to look up
0: he would go on to be hired as an assistant inker to murphy anderson at dc working on multiple titles like superman and superboy within the superboy book there was a featured backup strip legion of the superheroes Cockrum jumped at the chance to take over this backup strip when it became available in Superboy 184 in 1972, which would be his first assignment drawing a feature. The Legion of Superheroes would eventually become the main feature of the book in issue 197. Cockrum would remain on the title and provide a redesign to the character's costumes, which would become a common theme throughout his career. Cockrum left DC over a dispute related to the return of his original artwork of issue 200 of the same series. Prior to the split, Cochran was preparing to become a regular artist for Captain Marvel Jr. Backup strip in the Shazam series. So close to doing work on a character as a series he loved as a kid.
1: Like so close. Like yeah. <laughs> that was, that was what he was like inspirational as he's like, I'm about to take over this storyline. Nope. <laughs> split. Ruined relationship. Oof, rough.
0: But sometimes you got to make those tough calls as an artist. Yeah, Uh, I I can relate to that. It wouldn't take long for Cockrum to find work over at DC's perpetual rival, Marvel Comics. He joined Marvel as staff where he and Len Wein would co-create the iconic new X-Men, including Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Thunderbird. Want to hear something really crazy? Storm and Nightcrawler were directly based on characters which Cockrum had intended to introduce into the Legion of Superheroes storyline if he had remained on the title. We're going to come back like, to that can a little you, bit later. Can you
1: imagine <laughs> that, though? Oh, we're, we're definitely going to talk about that in a bit. Yeah, uh, for sure. Some foreshadowing. But, but also just,
0: just the you, fact that, you know, like you come in as a new artist to a, to a company, having worked for a rival company, and you get put on Uncanny X-Men, which, you know, at the time, if you think about it, like it was it wasn't that popular it wasn't the x men that we know today it was sort of like a it was it was running on on repeats like yeah. they were reprinting mm-hmm. back issues for many years and then they kind of started uh this this new thing they're like well you can you can try this you can bring him some new characters i guess you know like that's yeah, basically it, what marvel yeah, was doing.
1: the x men series was drowning at that point they hadn't had a new, they hadn't had a new X Men issue that wasn't a reprint in like five years.
0: Yeah, it, it's it, it's surprising that it survived. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you know, I think Cockrum got brought in and he he landed, you know, a pretty awesome job.
1: and he so let's a, switch. <laughs> yeah, he had pretty good teammates. So we're switching gears over to our writer Leonard Norman Ween who recalls growing up as a very sickly kid. During one particular hospital stint at the age of seven, his father brought him a stack of comics to pass the time. And he was hooked. He devoted much of his time and effort to develop his artistic talent in order to make it into the comic world after his eighth grade art teacher, shout out to Mr. Smedley, told him he showed promising talent. That just kind of shows that... Even like just a little comment from your teachers can have such a big impact on your career.
0: Wait, now, did you know
1: his eighth grade teacher was named Mr. Smedley? <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I found it when I read it.
0: Oh, okay, for sure.
1: Yeah. No, no, I immediately knew Mr. Smedley. Like,
0: he, he's a popular guy, I guess.
1: He's popular. Now get this while teenagers, Ween and Marv Wolfman, would take weekly Thursday office tours of DC Comics company office, and if if you know about comics, I you've you've heard the name Marv Wolfman. I'm pretty sure we've sure. talked about him in past uh, issues for certain characters. But just to give you a quick glimpse at Marv Wolfman's writing portfolio, they include Tomb of Dracula, Crisis on Infinite Earths, New Teen Titans, The Amazing Spider Man, Daredevil, and so many more. Some of his character co creations include Blade, Raven, Cyborg, Starfire, Deathstroke, Nova, and even Black Cat alongside Dave Cockrum. So, (laughs) another kind of similar pairing, just the partner that Len Wein had, Dave Cockrum. Together, the duo would produce short superhero stories and pass them off to DC editorial staff. At this point, Wein was still favoring art rather than writing. He believes his origins as an artist helped him better describe the art he envisioned to future scripts. Ween claimed that artists like Irv Novik would come to DC editor Julie Schwartz and ask specifically if there were any Len Ween scripts lying around, because he's easy to draw. The young creator's promising talent caught the eye of DC editor Joe Orlando, who hired them as freelance writers. Ween's first professional comic story, Eye of the Beholder, was published in Teen Titans 18 and 1968, in the issue, Ween, Wolfman, and artist Bill Drought create DC's first Russian superhero, Red Star. Later that same year, Ween would write DC's The House of Secrets and Marvel's Tower of Shadows and Chamber of Darkness. Like, seriously, did Len Ween play d and Because all of these names sound like like the just like booklets you would buy Adventure to play. modules. <laughs> yeah, sound, they sound yeah. like modules. Ween would cut his Marvel superhero teeth with a one-off story in Daredevil 71 in 1970, co-written with staff writer, editor, Roy Thomas. Ween would begin scripting various DC titles, including Adventure Comics, The Flash, Superman, and The Phantom Stranger. In July of 1971, Ween, alongside artist Bernie Wrightson, would create the comic horror icon Swamp Thing in issue 92 of The House of Secrets. Ween would later serve as editor of Alan Moore's legendary saga of the Swamp Thing run. Funny enough, Ween would write the second story for Marvel's Man-Thing sometime around May 1971, but the story wouldn't be published until June of 1972. Now, now, Chris, you know how much I'm obsessed with weird crossovers, right? A little bit. Okay, well, listen to this. In the fall of 1972, Ween, Jerry Conway, and Steve Englehart created a, quote, metafictional unofficial crossover that would span across multiple titles between Marvel and DC. The Marvel and DC characters would all interact with Rutland Halloween Parade in Rutland, Vermont. The subtle event crossover began in Marvel's amazing adventure 16, continue in justice league of America one Oh three and conclude in Thor two Oh seven. And it had to be subtle because there wasn't allowance for these crossovers, but it was just like, Really subtle, so if you want to go read those issues, you can see how those similar similarities and stories kind of crossed over. In the early 1970s, Wien would begin writing regularly for Marvel and eventually succeed Roy Thomas as chief of the Color Comics line in 1974, where he would stay for about a year until handing the mantle off to his friend, Marv Wolfman. Wien would have significant runs in, in Marvel Team-Up, Amazing Spider-Man, Thor, Fantastic Four, and The Incredible Hulk. Now, if you have heard of Len Wein before this issue, but aren't a comic fanatic, it's most likely due to his role in creating one of the most iconic comic characters of all time in issue 180-181 of The Incredible Hulk. That's right. Len Wein co-created Wolverine alongside Roy Thomas, John Romita Sr., and Herb Trimp in October-November slash of 1974. And I include 180 and 181 because everyone's going to argue what his first full appearance was. Because sure, depending yeah. on depending on value of the comics, well, the, the last page of one. Exactly. Like, yeah. the, it's literally the final panel of 180. And then his first full appearance is in 181. You would think that's enough creative greatness for one period of time. Right, Chris? Yeah. it's, it's Well, you're lot. wrong. Oh, OK, sorry, because Ween wasn't done creating mutant magic for our eye and ear holes. In May of 1975, Ween and Cockrum would shake things up and revitalize the X-Men with an all-new team lineup in Giant Size X-Men 1 in 1975, introducing Nightcrawler, Colossus, Thunderbird, and of course, our African goddess, Storm.
0: So that brings us to our pull list. We like to recommend different essential storylines and issues and things that you should read if you want to be familiar with the characters. So for Storm, there is a lot of different issues and runs and series that are good to read. Some of them are just really great. Some of them that we're going to mention are uh, just more important to the evolution of her uh, as a character. So we're going to try to get through these um, quickly instead of dissecting each each one like we normally do because there's so many and she's been around for quite some time. So the first one is, and probably the most notable is her first appearance in giant size X-Men number one, 1975. This is a story called deadly Genesis. Genesis, the first real issue of the x-men everything before this was kind of a meandering prequel (laughs) um (laughs) professor x recruits storm alongside an international group of mutants they join cyclops in a mission to rescue the rest of the original team on the monstrous living island of krakoa which if you've read any of the recent issues of of x-men house of x uh, and powers of x uh, krakoa comes back and, and it is a big (laughs) a big part of of the recent storylines so storm goes on in the all new all different x-men of issue 94
1: the next key issue for storm is going to be the all new all different x-men number 94 this is the first issue of x-men with new material as the series had been publishing reprints of old issues for the previous five years aside from giant size x-men one of course which came out three months prior Ween and Cochran would plot the story for X-Men 94 and 95, but it's actually Chris Claremont taking over the mantle as writer. And this would be the start of his historical 16 year Mm. run with X-Men, which would last until 1991 with issue 279. That's, that's crazy run for any writer nowadays from issue 94 to 279. That's crazy. Yeah. Issue 94 marks the dramatic changes to the X-Men team, which sees the departure of Marvel Girl, Angel, Iceman and Havoc, as well as Sunfire, but he kind of just joined them. He wasn't actually even a part of the team before, but he's like, "I'm out. I don't like this team. I'm doing my own thing." Yeah. Uh and the only and Lorna Lorna Dane also left, only leaving Cyclops from the original team and then adding those characters which we had just mentioned already. Now nah, and then, this issue just kind of goes into them developing their new team dynamics, trying to figure out the Danger Room and getting whooped from it pretty badly. But just just kind of one of those you need to read this to understand this team and Storm how she started out on the X Men.
0: And Storm starts off as pretty naive. She she is curious about the whole thing. She she doesn't really know about the outside world. She's been in Africa for years and years and years living in in kenya and the serengeti and and so she kind of joins out of like yes it i should i do want to learn more about mutants and other people and and she wants to learn more about her powers and professor x kind of as he does uh lures the students in to you know his way of thinking even though it's kind of for a a selfish plot of his own but um that brings us to uncanny x-men 102 which is a flashback story of Storm as a young girl growing up in Egypt. It's the first time we find out a little bit more about her backstory, showing how her parents were killed by a plane crash that crashed into a building. And she was trapped in the ruins of her home with their bodies. So she developed an intense fear of enclosed spaces or claustrophobia, which would be referenced many times. This this was came up in the issue because, you know, it it happened and then she's kind of telling her teammates like that this is something that, you know, that happened to me. And we kind of find out a little bit more about that.
1: Next up, we have Uncanny X-Men 145 through 147, which is a story called Rogue Storm, a mission where the X-Men are trying to rescue the villain Arcade from Dr. Doom or else Arcade's assistant will kill some of their loved ones. Doom not only flirts with Storm but later traps her in metal causing her to freak out because we know about her claustrophobia issues and almost destroy him and her own team it's a hint of how powerful her powers can actually become
0: yeah and luckily they're able to calm her down and kind of get her back down but it's she you know that that fear causes her to just completely lose it and also kind of it's it starts the <laughs> the unfortunate sequence of villains and people flirting with storm, which is sort of a recurrence over, over time, unfortunately for storm, but you know, that's, I guess that's Claremont's thing. Uh, Speaking of X-Men annual six uh, kind of continues that where storm is bitten by count Dracula (laughs) (laughs) and her teammates must try and save her because she kind of turns into a vampire or something. I I don't know. I didn't read it, but I thought I'd throw it in there because, Dracula, of course, in Marvel need,
1: Comics need to throw that in there. So then we have Cry Vengeance, which is Marvel team up issue 100, which is where we see Black Panther and Storm first meet. They take on some kidnappers and kindle a young romance. How adorable.
0: Now, this story is kind of going to be redone a little bit later, uh, years and years and years later um, in in a something that we'll talk about um, a, a little bit later in the poll list. The next kind of essential storyline we're going to talk about is Uncanny X-Men 172 and 173, which Storm is not a main character of. It actually focuses more on Wolverine and Rogue. Rogue just got brought into the X-Men and Wolverine takes her with him to Japan on a special mission and Storm comes along as well. Storm becomes friends with the thief Yukio, who is a bit of a punk herself, and she encourages Storm to be herself, that she's holding back and she is more than just her powers. This causes Storm to change her outfit significantly to leather pants and a leather vest and a collar and spikes and a mohawk.
1: Yes, the mohawk. And
0: the mohawk uh, makes its debut in this issue. And her close friend Kitty Pride, when she first sees it, did not react well. She's like, why did you change this? And she runs away. And this is a big change for the character. She would one that she would return to a few times over the years. It also kind of showed how a book about being different with characters being shunned from society, how there's even, you know, a a way that you might be even shunned within that sub society, like that she was being looked at differently within this group. Like she was trying to come out, you know, if you will, being different and trying to be more about being herself, even though, you know, she's already a mutant and she's had to deal with that. So a lot of fans liked it. Some people didn't, but uh, I think we can look back on the Mohawk as, as a, a, a really cool moment in, in not just Storm's history, but also kind of like 80s comics.
1: <laughs> Mohawk Storm is best Storm. I love that design. Next up, we have Uncanny X-Men 185, which is a story Rogue Public Enemy, which is where Storm chases after Rogue, who just joined the X-Men but is still learning her powers. But government agents use a weapon that can depower mutants They target Rogue, but Storm is hit and loses her powers.
0: Which is unfortunate. I'll keep this in mind because in our next recommendation, which is Uncanny 186, the issue right after that one, which is the beginning of Life, Death, A Love Story. Now, this is by guest artist Barry Windsor Smith. It's still written by Chris Claremont. Um, This is a great issue, and it's often regarded as one of, if not the most uh, important issue for Storm because it it's not really a superhero focused issue. Uh, It's mostly centering around a romantic interest with forge. One of the other X-Men that has been introduced by this point. And it kind of talks about their relationship and what it means to have powers and what it means to have, you know, an identity as a mutant over dinner. She kind of talks to forge about her trauma and Cairo as a child and how it's, it's a way to deal with her trauma being in the X-Men she finds out though that Forge is actually the one that built the depowering device for the government and ends up leaving him in, in this relationship that they had because he feels she feels like he sort of sold out, you know, or sold this device. Um, there's a sequel to this storyline called Life Death 2, which is in issue 198 of Uncanny X-Men, where she goes back to Africa, still without her powers, and learns some life lessons of sacrifice and triumph by helping to deliver a baby. But then the tribe that she's in, the tradition is when a baby is born, the eldest member of the tribe has to commit suicide. Jeez. So she has to kind of she has to kind of deal with this this life cycle, you know, this kind of in, in this uh, tribal society.
1: And some midsummer feel to that yeah. storyline.
0: And and this is all without Storm having any powers. So they, the writers really kind of dealt her a tough blow. But but I think it for Storm as a character, it, it caused her to grow a lot.
1: Next up, we have X-Men Worlds Apart, written by Christopher Yost and art by Diogenes Neves and Edgar Tadeo. Storm struggles with being a member of the X-Men and also the Queen of Wakanda. The Shadow King turns the people against her and then possesses the Black Panther.
0: Yeah, so obviously this jumps a little bit further to when Storm and T'Challa have been married. And it's it's kind of a an X-Men story that focuses on Storm, but it takes place when she's struggling between being the queen of Wakanda and her insecurities about, you know, should she focus more on being X-Men or, or, or focusing on being the queen and the insecurities are sort of represented uh, <laughs> in a fantasy way because, you know, the shadow King is often an adversary comes and tries to possess, uh, well, possesses black Panther. And she has to kind of like fight off, you know, people from Wakanda as well. So it's, it's an interesting uh, kind of short story. Um, the first solo story that storm had um is a, as her own title was called x men Storm and this was by warren Ellis uh excellent writer Warren Ellis, and an amazing artist Terry Dodson and uh also art by carl kessel and this was in nineteen ninety six so it's right in the middle of like the the kind of nineties comics boom and sort of the towards the beginning of sort of the decline of the nineties comics bubble. Storm's brief leadership of the Morlocks after she has a, a a fight with the Morlock Callisto, and she wins the sort of leadership of the Morlocks, and then she kind of neglects them. And many of them are taken away or killed. And she feels very guilty about that. So in the storyline, she's actually sort of kidnapped and uh, Cable, who's one of her teammates at the time, thinks that she's been killed. He goes back to the other X-Men and is like, I think Storm's dead we were in the (laughs) we were in the uh sewers and she's looking at the old Morlocks tunnels and something happened and he he thinks that she got killed where she was really transported to another dimension by none other than Mikhail Rasputin (laughs) and he has taken many of the Morlocks uh that Storm gave up on and they have now calling themselves Gene Nation and she has to fight not only them but also Callisto who she thought was dead, but now wants to kill her, and also <laughs> Mikhail Rasputin wants to make her his dimension queen. So of there's course. all that crazy stuff. It's yeah, you know, as, as that, that 90s. trope, <laughs> 90s because 90s. Dodson's art is very 90s. It's flashy and colorful, and there's a lot of shiny costumes and exaggerated muscles. and And Warren Warren Ellis tells a really fun story. It's it it's not the best narrative story, but there's some fun stuff. And I think the most important thing is that this is shows that Storm can kind of carry a title.
1: Which is why she got her second solo series in 2006, just titled Storm. So this this is a six-issue run, which served as a prelude to the wedding to Black Panther by writer Eric Jerome Dickey and artist David Yarden. Now, this is a flashback story showing how Storm was with her parents in Cairo and how she survived a plane crashing into their home that killed her parents. It shows how she becomes an accomplished thief in Cairo, but eventually heads south toward her mother's homeland of Kenya. Young Storm meets a young T'Challa in Africa, and she saves him from getting kidnapped. And after a brief series of romantic encounters, Storm gets kidnapped by the same uh, individuals that tried to capture T'Challa, but he ends up saving her.
0: This storyline, I I read through it, and uh, it's interesting. It's it's really well done. It mostly focuses on the relationship between her and T'Challa. And, you know, she shows a little bit of her storm power, like the weather manipulation. But mostly it's mostly about just her as a person and kind of an up-and-coming mutant. She just got her powers, so we don't really see a lot of her powers being manifested. But it kind of just shows how she's, you know... A, a good negotiator and how she's willing to sacrifice herself and kind of has those, those hero tendencies. Um, and it's interesting to see a young T'Challa that is very clumsy and, and, you know, trying to be a player a little bit. And, it, and he's, you know, he's, he's very much a young brash prince and has not been wizened in his ways. So they have a little teenage fling as it were. And um, it does get kind of hot and heavy, you know, <laughs> as, as comics can show, but it, it kind of it's a nice it's a nice prequel for the eventual wedding that you have with um, with T'Challa and uh, Aurora. The Last Storm miniseries is her most recent, which is the 2014 miniseries just called Storm. This was an 11 issue miniseries written by Greg Pak, an excellent writer, and art by Victor Ibanez, focusing on Storm doing some humanitarian work all over the globe uh, on her own taking her to places like South America, Kenya, Japan, and many other locations. There's a follow-up on the relationship with Forge. She at one point goes to Africa and Forge is there helping a uh, a, a tribe in Kenya, trying to create weather. Um, it, in Japan, she ends up finding her friend uh, Yukio, and she fights a member of the Breakworld, which you remember from, if you read Astonishing X-Men, uh, by when Joss Whedon wrote it. And then eventually Storm gets captured and people even uh, protest to free her. She has, there's this one issue where she's flying, I think from Japan back to the U S and there's like a Senator and some other people. And they're like, I'm not flying with a mutant. She's like, you know what? It's fine. I I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to keep, Keep you guys alive. If something bad happens, I'll make th- I'll make sure the weather is fine, and and everything's fine. And all of a sudden, like somebody attacks the plane, and the plane starts going down. And Storm saves the plane, but then the the senator that's on the plane like has her arrested, and and uh, it's this whole thing. But he ends up being a bad guy, so you know whatever. Yeah. Always. <laughs> but then it, the last couple issues get real freaky because as things tend to happen in X Men comics, when a former student that supposedly died in the X-Men's former headquarters in Utopia in San Francisco, comes back to life and kind of, he's this sort of blobby nebulous, you know, kind of amorphous body. And he sort of plants his way into mutants all around the world. Like a scene from Akira, like Tetsuo, he's like, you know, and it's like this weird Japanese anime kind of like uh thing and, and storm, it causes her to get like super powered and she eventually saves the day. It's a weird way to, end it but but it ties everything together and she she is able to um, you know kind of use everybody to to help um, quell this this young student who's kind of gotten out of control it's overall it's a fun read Uh, it's the art is pretty decent and the writing does her a lot of justice and respect and really shows some really cool moments where she has to shine more importantly it kind of moves her forward as a character and it shows how time has not just changed for her but also The perception of her power as uh, as a mutant from her students former enemies and teammates now there are some other kind of little brief things if you're a real storm fan and you want to like find certain things that i i didn't put on the list like when you know, Storm gets a weapon from Asgard, you know, like she becomes the weather goddess and she has this weapon like like Thor has. And there's there's that kind of storyline. There's storylines where she goes off on her own in the Savage Land. And so, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff from Storm and we didn't put everything in there, but um, we do have a couple of grails. And so do you want to go first for the grail find?
1: Yes. So my first grail, I know you also have as well which is X-Men 266 which is actually the first full appearance of Gambit but the main storyline centers around Storm and her nemesis Shadow King. So, and and it has Storm on the cover as well alongside Gambit. So it's it's even though everyone goes after it for the reasoning behind like first appearance of Gambit, but it's actually a pretty fun story with Storm as well. And my second grail for this even though it's it's not expensive whatsoever But it's a reprint of Giant Size X-Men number one, which was the True Believers uh, reprint that happened not too long ago. And I was able to get it signed by Roy Thomas at uh, a con before the world went crazy and we no longer have cons.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. We will. We will someday. My grails are kind of centered around the first some of the first X-Men comics that I ended up getting which was around that that early 90s boom with Jim Lee and and Claremont and Wiles Portacio and and so Storm was leader of the X-Men gold team of the 90s um in uh Uncanny X-Men 281 um which was the first gold team appearance and I I just you know ate it up I was like this is amazing and her and Jean Grey and Iceman and Archangel and, and uh forge was in there and 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 then Bishop shows up at the end of the issue, and that's his first appearance. So I mean like that whole storyline was great, and just her being the leader was was uh, awesome, and she had a new costume, and it was all like her iconic costume that ended up being in the cartoon yeah. and everything. Um, but one of my favorite issues is actually a little bit later, Uncanny 290, and this is a really famous cover, it's a beautiful cover of Storm. And she's kind of like in the rain, and and her hair's wet, and and it's sad but beautiful. And and the the issue is about uh, Forge, you know, and Storm have had this kind of off and on again relationship, and he proposes to her in the issue before, and she turns him down, and it, and it's you know it's it's a really heartbreaking issue to read, but it's it's it sort of changes this you know, the vibe between like, you know, they're, they're fighting people from the future and (laughs) all these things like that. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, let's have this little, you know, sad moment. And, and those, I love those X-Men stories. I I love the ones where they kind of, they're at the mansion and they're just talking about stuff and like fitting in and trying to find themselves. And those are the best ones. So, um, uncanny Two Ninety is I'm really happy that I own that one. We are going to take a short little break and we will be back to talk about adaptations and more. Uh, in just a couple minutes. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, this is Chris. Lance and I are excited that Comic Book Keepers is part of the Geekly Grind podcast network. But did you know that there are other geeky podcasts that you can listen to? There totally are! Such as The Anime Fantasticness of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, the hilarious D and D actual play adventures of Knights of the Roll Table, which I'm on. But we also have some new baby brothers in our podcast family. Explore the vast universe of geekdom with Geek Exploration, or talking animation's finer details with JD's Ink and Paint Club. So check those out today. Escape your weekly grind at the Geekly Grind. Hey Lance. Yep. The best way to support us is to leave a rating and review. And a five-star rating goes a long way on Apple Podcast and review about uh, what you liked about the episode does so much more. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we love making it. And I can't stress that enough, that a five-star rating is is um, super cool. So if you have the time, if you have a minute, you know, 30 seconds, just if you're on an iPhone or an Android and you scroll down in your, in your device and you can leave a little review, we would – Love it because it just helps the algorithm. It helps more people find out about the show. And uh, we want people to hear about their favorite comic book characters and, and characters they want to find out more about. So please leave us a rating and review. If you have a chance,
1: we read every single one of them multiple times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can find us on social media in a couple different ways. We're on Twitter at CBK cast using the hashtag CBK cast. We're on Instagram also at CBK cast. And Comic Book Keepers is also hosted uh, by The Geekly Grind. You can stop by The Geekly Grind for all things geeky from comics, anime, and manga to board games, video games, RPGs, and more. Take a break from your weekly grind at The Geekly Grind.
1: And don't forget to check out the composer of our theme song, Arcane Anthems. Our good friend Weston makes royalty-free music for tabletop role-playing games, campaigns, streams, and podcasts. You can check out his amazing work at Arcane Anthems on Twitter TikTok, as well as getting all of his music available for free on his Patreon at Arcane Anthems. Now back to the issue.
0: Testing me. Hmm? All right then. It's time you remembered why they call me Storm. Storm adaptations. Now, there's a lot of things to talk about here, but first let's talk about the movie. So Storm made her live-action debut in the X-Men movie directed by Bryan Singer, portrayed by Halle Berry. Now, Halle Berry went on to portray Storm in uh, X2, X-Men United, X-Men The Last Stand, and X-Men Days of Future Past she would come back and play Storm in that movie. So four times in in film. Pretty, pretty cool. Now, her portrayal as Storm has mixed emotions. In the first movie, you know, talking about the accent, I thought the wig, not as good. The accent, okay. Like, it, she had a little touch of accent. She was kind of fun. She did have that terrible line about Toad, you know, which everybody jokes hey, about. Chris, but
1: Chris. What happens, to what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? What
0: happens to a toad when it's struck by
1: lightning? So, <laughs> oh gosh, that lights the so thing, bad. I
0: know, I know. But, 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 aside from that, it wasn't bad. No, like, not it at was all. storm. She had her storm powers. Her eyes turned white. She flew. I mean, at that time, and you have to remember, back at that time, superhero movies were were pretty rough. I mean, we had, we just had. Batman and Robin <laughs> like so yeah. no that- so to have uh, to have a live action version of X-Men and to have storm live action even with the occasional bad line like she it was really cool and and Halle Berry was okay like and I, and actually I thought in X2 she did great I thought it was she did a great job I thought her wig looked a lot better um I thought her powers did a really cool job she she was uh more of a leader in the second one she had the whole like subplot with nightcrawler and, and like they were rescuing the young mutants in the in the compound weapon x compound so i mean i thought in the second one she actually had like a little bit more time to shine um which was great and then in the third one she was actually the leader of the team now the third x-men movie was not as good it was kind of bananas, wah, wah. so but you know and then she had another hair change (laughs) she completely lost her accent you know so they they just kind of gave up on that um and then i liked her little cameo in days of future past i mean it was like her in the future and it wasn't bad it wasn't great but um it's not the last time we're gonna see storm in in a in a live action movie i
1: feel like it's important to say though like with with that first x-men movie if we didn't if it wasn't taken as seriously as it was we're not where we are today with comic book films. Like it oh, was, yeah. for it, sure. It was like groundbreaking. This this yeah. film, it was it was fantastic. I still really enjoy these movies, even though I know there's so many flaws with them. But at that period of time, that was like the top tier of superhero comic book films. And and I yeah. I enjoy I enjoy her portrayal of of Storm. I think I just was, I was like thrown off when I was a kid. I was like, wait, where'd her, where'd her accent go in the, in the second film? But I don't care. (laughs) And we could do a whole
0: issue about like the, the, the decline, the, (laughs) the beginning and the decline and the resurgence of comic book movies and kind of where we are today. And I think people that are listening to this, that are like 20 years old that were born in 2000 or whatever are, (laughs) oh gosh. where are are like, yeah, well, X, I've seen X two, Yeah. That was like a while ago and it's awesome. But yeah, I mean, so like we had the first Superman movie in the seventies and we had, you know, the Michael Keaton, Batman, Tim Burton, you know, in, in the late eighties and nineties. And, and that was kind of it. I mean, like there was a couple little blips, like blade, which was really cool. And, you know, here and there you had little things, but not a lot and definitely not anything for Marvel. Like, like this was the first X-Men was the first big Marvel adaptation and it, it did okay. It wasn't, it wasn't hugely popular. I think it made like 45 million or something at the box office, which was not great, but then Spider-Man came out and it went bananas and then X2 came out and it did really well and it just got bigger from there. So yeah, without like, I think you're right without the, the X-Men movie, um, at least Kind of getting its foot in the door, we wouldn't have the MCU. Well, it, even though it was yeah come from a completely different studio, but they they knew that these characters could work.
1: Yeah. Well, so I just want to say, X Men made two hundred and ninety six point three million in the box office.
0: Oh, global. Yes. Yeah. Does it show domestic?
1: Um, let's see. Box office mojo. I mean, we don't have to. No, that, it, it, the box office mojo looks. I don't think
0: it was, I, yeah, I don't think it was that much, but globally it was, it was more.
1: So domestic made 157 uh, million. International made 139 million for a total of 296 million. Yeah. That's not bad.
0: Nothing compared to today's. <laughs> no,
1: no. The superhero right. films today are what make studios crazy money. For sure.
0: Uh, So Storm would return later in the second X-Men trilogy uh, of movies, which um, was sort of the first class movies. And uh, so she came back in X-Men Apocalypse and then was also uh, came back one more time in X-Men Dark Phoenix. And this time she was played by Alexandra Ship. And so in X-Men Apocalypse, she actually is brought in by Apocalypse as, um, as a member of as a one of the four horsemen storm eventually in the in the movie if you haven't seen it you know realizes that hey apocalypse is pretty bad and she he's using us to do all these terrible things and destroy the world and that's bad so she eventually like you know pieces out on apocalypse and joins the x-men by the end of the movie um i think Ship was fine uh they they did give her the cool mohawk haircut which yeah. was which was cool like she looked like a young storm and and did a cool part. I I just don't think she had enough to really like showcase her.
1: No, she did. She didn't get enough like limelight in those films.
0: Yeah. But she she was
1: barely in dark Phoenix and and
0: just didn't really have a whole lot to do and, and wasn't really the focus. So, you know, it was, it was like, she was there, but I just, it was, there wasn't really much uh,
1: to, to base off her performance. I feel like there was, there's a lot of characters in those films that were just, they were there, but they like just the way it was written it didn't like let a lot of characters kind shine that's one of the problems that i had with those films but alexandra ship is like really cool um she did like a, a video doing comic book shopping uh mm-hmm. on like collider if you want to look up that video it's pretty fun where she gets taken to a comic book shop and they kind of <laughs> r- run through all these different books that she should read, including all these X-Men stories with storm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's a fun series to look up. If you want to I mean, watch videos,
0: I love the cast of, of the, the movies and they clearly are having a good time. And they're, but you know, when you watch the movie, it's like, it's like when you're really excited about having a milkshake and you're like, this is going to be such a good milkshake. And you have it. And then afterwards you're like, Oh, I regret that. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, dairy. <laughs> uh, it, that's how I felt about <laughs> x-men apocalypse and dark phoenix it yeah
1: just like, oh, i wish this was better <laughs> yeah I, th- I think that's how majority of audience felt but it, but <laughs> hey if you love those movies awesome we we want yeah. we want every single comic book movie to crush it and be amazing um but, but it's
0: not gonna but happen. it's
1: not gonna happen but if you love those movies awesome it's just they're they they just didn't hit the cord with us for a few reasons.
0: We are going to talk about TV animation. So Storm made her first animated appearance actually in the cartoon Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Love that series so much. Um and actually fun fact, you can watch that show on Disney Plus. She's in I think two episodes in that like cuz at one point um Iceman and Firestorm who are Spider-Man's amazing friends, uh, they go back to they're both mutants and they go to visit professor X kind of like where they went to school at the Xavier Institute and the rest of the X-Men are there. And uh storm is in both of those episodes. Um, there was also a 1989 pilot made called pride of the X-Men uh, where Andy Chapman provided the, the voice of storm. Uh, I found out something kind of interesting in researching this. They, do you remember the, the 1980s Robocop animated series? Yes. I'm surprised you did because yeah. it only lasted one season. They made 12 ish uh, 12 episodes. There were supposed to be 13, but they canceled it on the 12th episode. So they took the money that they were going to use for the 13th episode and they made pride of the X-Men pilot. Amazing. Which also failed. Uh, it still exists. You <laughs> some can some find solid it. You can, choices kind, of, you they can made. kind of, I think you can watch it on YouTube. Um, uh, Wolverine has an amazing Australian
1: accent. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yes, I need to watch it's that It's like,
0: Crocky, I'm going <laughs> to slice them up. And it's like it's a weird foreshadowing Please. of Hugh Jackman being Australian <laughs>
1: playing. Please tell me there's just a line where he's just like, now this is a knife. Uh, there's not. But oh, dang it. It. Missed good. opportunity. You guys a little old for school or did you all get held back? We X-Men learned something very special here, Jubilee.
0: How to control our mutant powers. For the benefits of, mankind. All right,
1: already! of course, we have X-Men in 1992 and was voiced by Iona Morris and then voiced by Allison Seeley Smith midway into season two. She appeared in five seasons of the seminal animated TV show. The show, along with the resurgence of the X-Men comics by Claremont and Lee, made the team impossible to ignore. Several episodes focused on Storm, including her claustrophobia and her opposition with the Shadow King.
0: Storm, in particular, you know, in that series, you know, she had this great, the great, like silver, um, uh, you know, with with the cape, uh, the silver costume with the cape, with the big X's, mm-hmm. and you know, this big teased out hair that Storm has. They and, all, they all and, had
1: that. Rogue did too. The, oh well, my yeah, gosh, yeah, Rogue did
0: too, and yeah, <laughs> Psylocke and Jean Grey, yeah, they all had that kind of hair. Um, so, but but Storm did this thing which I don't think she really did in the comics where she would like kind of say the spell, you know, the, say, she would say the effect that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. She'd be like, wind <laughs> blew this villain away. And you know, she'd be like, rain wash the sins. <laughs> she'd kind of like speech her way into doing something, which I thought was, was kind of fun. And, and, um, Rogue or, uh, Storm was also a, a good friend to Rogue in the series. And she was a good friend of, uh You know Jean Grey, and she was kind of mentoring Jubilee, who was in the series. So I mean, she she had a really good relationship. She, uh, I think it, there was one episode which kind of is like an alternate timeline kind of thing where it shows that she had a relationship with uh, Wolverine, in like the season fourth season. So Storm, you know, had a great appearance on that show, but it was not her last appearance in uh, animation. In the year two thousand, in the year two thousand. Yes. We have another great, this is one of those series that I don't think anybody knew was coming
1: (laughs) until it showed
0: up and we were like, wow, this is really cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, X-Men Evolution in the year 2000 uh, lasted four seasons. Uh, Storm was voiced by Kirsten Williamson and Storm is a teacher at Xavier's Institute and the the premise of X-Men Evolution, if you haven't seen it, uh, is it's the X-Men in high school and they're going to a regular high school, but they live at Xavier's Institute. But Storm and Wolverine and Beast, I think, are the are the uh, teachers along mm-hmm. with Professor X. Yep. It, while not a main character, she's definitely featured occasionally. And she's also the aunt of Evan Daniels, who is the character Spike, yes. which was created just for the show. Spike and is know, amazing.
1: Yeah, I love Spike. He's one of my favorite characters. X Men Evolution was one of my favorite like animated series of two thousands, and I loved the redesigns that they did for the characters. Mm-hmm. Like Nightcrawler yeah. looked amazing. Rogue was super cool. I'm pretty sure that's why I was attracted to like the goth girls <laughs> in high school. Like goth I, ga- Rogue, yeah. I guarantee was it. it was her and Raven that were that influence. And then in two thousand eight,
0: there was a- another. Uh, animated X Men series called Wolverine and the X Men. While Storm is not a main character, she does make several appearances and eventually kind of is part of the the team. Uh, it's it's a kind of a cool storyline. I'm actually watching through that right now, and and all of these series, by the way, are also on Disney Plus. We're not getting paid by Disney Plus, but I just love telling people that hey, you can watch these series now. Um, the original X Men cartoon, X Men Evolution, and Wolverine and the X Men are all owned by Disney now. So they're all on Disney plus and you can watch them. So,
1: but if Disney yes. wanted to sponsor us, <laughs> we wouldn't say no
0: Uh Wolverine, and the X-Men features like kind of a cataclysmic event that wipes out a couple of mutants and then breaks up the X-Men and then Wolverine has to get them back together, blah, blah, blah. Uh Eventually storm comes in and, and she has a great design, very streamlined, very cool looking. It's kind of this darker, black outfit with the cape and and a little bit of purple and just the, the animation is super clean and the character design is really awesome for all of the characters. Um, so yes, I mean, Storm's not a main character in this, but it's still worth it to just kind of watch the, the show. It's a lot of fun. Storm has shown up in several video games over the years and we got to start with one of my favorite games mm-hmm. growing up, which was the X-Men Arcade game, six players.
1: Six, you gotta have the six ones.
0: Six players. Six joysticks with buttons. So you had can
1: you name them all? So you had Storm, you had Nightcrawler. Was Kitty Pride one of them? Nope. No, she wasn't. Uh Cyclops. Oh man, who else was Beast in there?
0: Nope. Wolverine. Yeah, Wolverine.
1: Who are the other two? Was it was Rogue in there? No, it's been a long time since I played this game. (laughs) I don't know who are the other two Colossus. Okay.
0: And Dazzler.
1: And oh, Dazzler was one of them.
0: Yeah. Dazzler was no,
1: I never would have guessed Dazzler. I remember finding this, this arcade game in a nickel arcade when I was in college and I put so many nickels in that game. I played through the whole thing with one of my buddies. I felt like I had carpal tunnel afterwards, but yeah, so much fun.
0: Later, uh, one of my other favorite games from the 90s was X-Men versus Street Fighter. <laughs> um, uh, Capcom did a series of games where there was like Street Fighter versus, you know, Capcom or Marvel versus Capcom. And she showed up in that as well. Storm was featured in that because you had, you know, Storm sending bolts of lightning mm-hmm. down on people yelling, lightning and storm. <laughs> and <you> just, <laughs> just, just lit up the screen. So she was a fun character to play in that. Uh, she showed up in X-Men Ravages of the Apocalypse, X-Men Mutant Academy, and then uh, she showed up as one of the playable characters in X-Men Legends, an amazing...
1: Oh, such an a amazing good game. amazing game,
0: like gauntlet style, yep. like dungeon crawling. X-Men Legends and X-Men Legends 2 Apocalypse uh, Revenge or whatever it's called, X-Men Legends 2. Notable merch. Um, of course, Storm has had many cool... Toys over the years, uh, action figures, and and she was she was one of the few X Men to be featured in like McDonald's Happy Meals with Wolverine and Jubilee, like in the early '90s. Uh, she's had you know um, uh, sideshow collectibles and and all that kinds of cool stuff. But one of the things I found out in the research of this was in Marvel Superhero Islands of Adventures in Universal Studios Florida, uh, there is a ride named after Storm called Storm Force Excelatron and it's kind of like the teacup teacup ride at disney world uh, but with smoke and strobe lights <laughs> to make it look like lightning and she's the first x-men and superheroine to have a ride named after her which i thought was kind of cool
1: yeah That's like there have been, awesome
0: there have been other rides named after male superheroes and but there's no wolverine ride or at least there hasn't and as far as i know um So I thought that was pretty neat. Like, you have a storm ride. (laughs) And that brings us to What If.
1: What 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 if? If. Each issue we do at Nerds Do Best, we share our fever dream concepts for the comics that we love. And this week, because of the research that we did, we thought it would be pretty interesting to... Do what if Storm was published in the DC universe? Because we found out that uh, Dave Cockrum had actually developed this character uh, before, or uh, before he had even left DC, and so he had intended on bringing this character into the Legion of Superheroes, or I guess it, at that point it was called like Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, um, something along those lines. <laughs> And so we thought it'd be interesting if we talked about, well, what if, what would it have looked like? Like what her, what would her character be? How would she be introduced in that story? Um, if it was in DC rather than Marvel. So I'll go first. And for this, I was thinking Cockrum was also a very big fan of uh, Captain Marvel or Shazam. And so I figured we have some similar like power, types along those lines. We have some lightning going on. And so I thought it would be pretty interesting if there were some Shazam storm team ups uh, that could be part of like his little group that he would form. And so she would become an ally potentially um, uh, because of her like aesthetic, maybe she would be introduced like her aesthetic is like power set. Maybe she was like really powerful in the beginning and so she didn't know how to control it. So he would have to come and kind of show her how to control like lightning powers. Um, I could also see DC leading to maybe a team up between her and black lightning, Uh, maybe a romance between them. And then maybe she would do a little bit of a mentorship with like static shock. So working with Virgil, Uh, but Late,
0: later on later in the on. 2000s if exactly she, if she in so that like exactly
1: and so she stays sure. within that universe she's she had that mentorship from Shazam she goes on to have to work alongside let's say black black lightning have a relationship with him move on there and then she becomes that that educator like she had done in the Marvel universe but this time she's helping out other heroes in the DC universe like static uh and then i could also see when she is introduced because the Legion of Superheroes series it was all these different superheroes like um, like Superboy was kind of involved there, but then it was like Duo Damsel, Bouncing Boy, Phantom Girl, Ultra Boy, so all these like like lower tier characters within the DC universe, and so I could see her mm-hmm. being like younger when she's introduced, being a part of that team, and then branching off and and kind of doing her own thing, and then running into. Just because she she is going to become so powerful, I'm assuming in the DC universe as well, that she would end up being alongside like the higher tier characters like a Shazam or like Superman. So it'd be interesting to see how she would fit into like a Justice League or like Justice League Unlimited type situation.
0: I'm, I'm going to kind of go in a different direction and say the Storm as a character would have been an interesting fit with, uh, teen Titans. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: new, new teen Titans came out in 1980 that, that I'm going to say like, maybe they didn't quite find a good fit for her until then. And then new teen Titans come out and then you have, you know, you have cyborg, you have beast boy, you have Starfire, and maybe storm gets put in there as like, instead of Raven, instead of Raven or maybe instead of Starfire or maybe in addition to, like, I mean, you have this cool addition. <laughs> character, um, this African goddess character, you know, that, that has a different set. Um, And for me, it would be really interesting to see because, you know, we've seen this a couple times in X-Men, how, when storm gets sort of mind controlled by Dracula or by apocalypse or whatever, that she can be a very powerful adversary. So I think it would have been interesting if DC kind of took it like, like she becomes, okay, just what about this? She becomes a Batman villain. You know, she okay. is, she is a villain in Gotham city, lower tier and goes into Arkham and, and eventually sort of like Harlequin uh, sort of learns the error of her ways uh, sort of changes. She comes, becomes a sort of chaotic, neutral kind of uh, person. And it g- goes on suicide squad you know and and learns to control her powers her weather channeling powers sort of like like a killer frost if you will you know but but, but for lightning and, and rain and weather uh they try to recruit her like uh the uh weather wizard and stuff like the flash mm-hmm. villains uh yep. try to be like oh you should j- join with me and she's like no i don't want anything to do with you <laughs> uh so but then she eventually joins like justice society as like a reformed reformed villain now hero nice. eventually in the nineties or something. And then, and then eventually kind of working your way up to something like um, you know, the, the, the Titans or JLA or, or something like that, like as a reserve member of JLA. Uh, but I, I would like to see her. I think DC would have, would have it'd be interesting because they love turning their heroes into villains. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Storm would have been a, a really interesting villain as a foil to Batman, I think would be kind of fun. And, and just to have him deal with like this, super overpowered elemental, you know, uh, person and then and and then uh kind of have her make a slow ascent into um, being a good character or something. Yeah. I
1: that, think that's where I would go. Nice. <laughs> I th- I think it's funny that you brought up both Killer Frost and Weather Wizard because I was going to say I think those would be who her like nemesis <laughs> would be.
0: Like an elemental mm-hmm. villain team. Yeah, and, right? then, and then be
1: kind of part of maybe <laughs> the, like a and- Exactly. And we kind of be part of like the flash team. And I could totally see like Barry, his Barry or Wally um being being like really hurt, and they're kind of like losing touch with like the speed force or something. And then like could see Storm coming in and you know, comic logic. If she hits him with like a special kind of mm-hmm. lightning, and it like supercharges him, and it makes him right. even faster, like I could see all those kinds of things happening. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways she could fit into the DC universe that would be they really interesting. Into the Speed Force and inject you with lightning. <laughs> mm-hmm. What if she taps into Speed Force and then she can just like she just like travels through the lightning. At that point, she just like teleporting essentially. Oh, sure. Like there's because you know like <laughs> DC is god level. She becomes characters. Electro <laughs> exactly like. It's god yeah. level characters. Like we're we're looking at the pantheon of like we're looking at the gods, and so right. she is a goddess. So I guarantee, like her power set would be taken to like the next level over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah. World ending. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> There's going to be like five <laughs> different love, apocalypse. They love to blow up some worlds in DC. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Just because they got twenty thousand other ones ready to go. <laughs> That's right.
0: Well, it's time to close the book on Storm. I'm, I'm very excited. We started uh, doing some X-Men characters, and this will not be the last one. We're certainly going to talk about more in the future. Uh, so until next time, this is Chris. And Lance. Reminding you to keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. Wind! Wind. <laughs> you can't copyright up. me
1: can't copyright cuz it's not the right notes
0: here you go da <laughs> da really flat jazz da 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 na na hey you covers Oh, boy.